0: I learned a lot mm-hmm. because musicians are really teachers. You know, they they love to share music,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and mm-hmm. that's how it all started with Don Cherry. You know, he was like, "You got to listen to." I'd never heard of Jim Pepper. I'd never heard of Carlos Ward. I hadn't even heard of Ed Blackwell. I knew, I knew uh, Dewey. Um, and Paul and Charlie, uh, their names at least from the Keith Jarrett Quartet, which I used to go here in the 70s in Boston.
2: Hi, this is Dave Douglas. You're listening to A Noise from the Deep. It's the Greenleaf Music Podcast. Um, This is a brand new episode focusing on the 1980s. It was when I first got to New York and um, I'll be talking to Marietta Drummond, who's a pianist and uh, someone who was involved with a lot of the music that was happening in New York. Uh, well, in the 70s, 80s, and beyond, but this was around the time I met Marietta, um, and she was working with Old and New Dreams and with the Liberation Music Orchestra, Charlie Hayden, Dewey Redmond, Don Cherry, um, Ed Blackwell, and uh, she's turned me on to a lot of music, and I thought it'd be interesting to ask her to pick some of her favorite tracks and we'll play some and and talk about them Um, just podcast business you can get all the episodes uh, starting from what is starts at episode one right Um, at iTunes or wherever you get podcasts and please you know rate or give us a ranking it spreads the word about the podcast this is we don't have any sponsors it's just Greenleaf Music and um It's conversations with musicians and knowledgeable people about music, about their music, uh, in the case of today, about a lot of different music. Um, So thanks for listening, and uh, let's talk to Marietta Drummond. Hi, Marietta.
0: Hi, Dave.
2: Um, Full disclosure, Marietta is also um, the mother of my wife, longtime wife, Susanna, and uh, so... I'm she, a
0: mother-in-law. She, I know.
2: <laughs> she has the prerogative to swear around the house, and, and does so quite um, virtuosically. But I, you know, I don't. It, we, maybe we'll go for the explicit language rating for, on this episode. I don't know. But um, no,
0: this is going to be a clean one.
2: We're going to keep this clean. Mm-hmm. You heard that?
0: Mm-hmm. It's right. about the music.
2: Yeah. So we were listening to Old and New Dreams. Uh, playing the Ornette Coleman composition, Lonely Woman. And I know that you must have a million stories about the band, but they all came from Ornette's group. Yes. And I know that you went to hear them with Ornette probably quite a few times.
0: Ornette would come, he would come to their gigs. And, um, and he, w- he would, the word would spread, Ornette's coming tonight, Ornette's coming tonight. And these four guys who had played with him years ago, would get very nervous. And the whole house would kind of be tingling. Ornette's coming. And then he wouldn't come. But (laughs) uh, then the next night, when no one was expecting him, he would show up. And uh, he was very gracious about it. And um, they seemed to play more intensely when he was there. Hmm. A huge influence on all four of them. Wow. Um and, and you really I for me, Lonely Woman is the epitome of their real devotion and their real understanding of his music.
2: Where were they playing at that time?
0: Um well, you know, they made this recording um in nineteen eighty for ECM and then they did a big town hall concert. I don't know if you remember that or not, and it was Um, very exciting and everyone was very excited about this new album because Mm -hmm. this was a new group Mm -hmm. and Ornette's music hadn't been heard that much Mm -hmm. so uh, at least not for 30 years so um, then then they really didn't have anywhere else to go with it you know they did some European tours with it but in this country um, they did play a couple of uh, weeks at Lush Life Uh, a club on Bleecker, and then two years later, Charlie was saying, you know, we really need to have this group, you know, playing in New York, Mm -hmm. and and he was trying to arrange it with Sweet Basil, so he was calling back and forth and back and forth, and he called me and said, could you do this Mm -hmm. and save me all of this time? So I went to Sweet Basil and arranged for them to play there. Mm Um, and they did two remember, separate yeah. gigs. Yeah. Um, they had some rather unfortunate experiences at uh, Lush Life, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and at that time Dewey was really wanting to branch out more on his own, mm-hmm. and he had his own quartet and he was writing his own music. Yeah. So he he really kind of. Um, I'm going to put this nicely. He blackmailed me into... Oh. A, he would play with Old and New Dreams if I if, would get yeah. him a week with his band at Sweet Basils.
2: Let me let me just back up a second and we, we'll talk about Dewey some more and listen to some mm-hmm. of his music. Mm-hmm. But did Ornette ever play... Like, did you ever witness him sitting in with Old and new dreams? No, no. I mean, He wasn't really interested no. in,
0: in... he wasn't interested in it. He uh, And he actually wrote some new music for them. Wow, I didn't know And, that. Um, yeah, and actually um, I was at a rehearsal where he was uh, teaching it to them. And mm-hmm. he was playing
1: mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. teach it to them. Yeah,
0: sure. It was written out. But, I mean, he really, he um, had them experience it with him playing it um and that was um probably it was after the eighty nineteen eighty 1980 recording hmm. and uh and it was for some some gigs they were playing but he never brought an instrument and he always he was very quiet and and rather shy person yeah. I felt and he always sat kind of in the back on the side and um not in the alcove, um, making a big scene like Miles but Davis those... would do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, those guys were big personalities. Yes, Everybody they were. In that
0: band. And he and he allowed that. He didn't. He didn't mm-hmm. come in and take over the room. Mm-hmm. And he was very gracious. And um, I just remember he was listening very intensely, and I was sitting um, at the same table with him. And he turned to me and he goes, "Marietta, it's really just about the sound." Isn't that just the most profound thing you ever heard? <laughs> and I, and you know, he did that. He did. I actually would I, write you know, <laughs> down things that he would say, because at the time you'd think this is so brilliant. And then, yeah. then later you'd go, what the, heck? <laughs> you know, what did he, I just do? saw I, a like, quote yeah, today. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You almost swear there, but I we did. Didn't, we, didn't I caught to, myself we didn't have to beep it. Beep, I just saw a quote you. from Dizzy Gillespie today where he said something like, I'm not that into music. I'm into sounds.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Similar uh, yes. sentiment. Yes. So you were talking about Charlie, and you—he you, would call you to organize yes. stuff, yes. and so you went on to do work with the liberation, liberation music orchestra, orchestra. Yeah. Um, at Sweet Basil. And you requested that we play this track, uh, a composition of Charlie's from the record "Ballad of the Fallen." Yes. So we're going to hear a little bit of uh, silence.
0: Cherry was from Oklahoma, so that that we did have that connection. Silence was interesting watching the audience reaction mm. in a club where everybody is, you know, clinking ice in their glass and eating salad. And then all of a sudden, this, you know, from from the other pieces, which were, you know, big band kind of big Carla sounds, and then silence would come on. And everybody would sort of put down their fork and, and, you know, it was sort of like church for a minute. And right,
2: and you feel like you got busted with your plate of hamburger and french fries yes. if you were sitting there. and
0: like chewing your salad sounded really <laughs> loud all of a sudden. But, it, it, you know, it, but it was interesting to watch this, this kind of blanket of peace that would spread in this funky mm-hmm. club, yeah. With all the taxis, you know, whizzing by on Seventh I mean, Avenue. The political
2: message of that band was a big thing. It was. For him,
0: it and, was a protest uh, band. Right. From the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. So, do you feel like even you know pieces like "Silence"? He would put them in that. Yes. Context. Yes.
0: Yeah, and I forget what he wrote about it, but it was something about um, the beginning and ending of life.
1: Hmm.
2: And is that, I guess that's a Carla Bley arrangement? Yes. Of the piece? Mm -hmm. And so there's another track on this same album, Ballad of the Fallen, that uh, Carla also arranged, I guess, La Passionaria. Yes, yeah. Featuring uh, Dewey. And it features Dewey Redmond. So Mm -hmm. let's listen to a little Mm -hmm. bit of this, and then we'll talk about Dewey. calling out to Dewey Redmond.
0: <laughs> yes, you know when when um when I would book Dewey w- either with with uh, old and New dreams or with his own quartet, every saxophonist showed up. Mm-hmm. It was like a master class. Wow. And Joe Lovano would come. all yeah. all of the young um, saxophonists would come and and listen, and you hear it in in almost all of them. there there's a bit of Dewey passed around and Dewey attributed his to Coleman Hawkins and you know and and the masters at Leicester you know he he listened to all all kinds of music Mm -hmm. Dewey's favorite tv show you know was um um what was the um, oh no
2: I'm I'm really curious now yes uh Lawrence Welk
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's I'm serious a, I didn't.
2: I, that's not what he, I expected you to say he right there.
0: watched <laughs> Lawrence Welk every wow. week and football those were the two things that, that Dewey watched you think watched. for the
2: music because yes, it was a variety and, show
0: well he said that Lawrence Welk had lots of money and he hired the very best musicians hmm. and he goes and I always listen to them because they're the very best we have and and um, I, would not I was have I, that. well. Neither did I. And <laughs> and I wasn't as gracious about it as maybe I should have been. But so
2: you weren't a big Lawrence Welk fan. No, yourself, I
0: wasn't, you know. and I didn't care if they were the best. They they they, <laughs> they 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 weren't thrilling to me. But I found that interesting that that was his take on Lawrence mm-hmm. Welk, rather than they're they're all white guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like these are the best, and he has lots of money, and. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: well, what about Dewey's connection to like being from Texas and yes. Texas tenors and
0: big Fort Worth thing? You know, um, lots of lots of musicians and of course he and Ornette went to the same school they were both from Fort Worth right. Ornette was 2 years older but they had the same band director and they they you know were in this incredible marching band but his sound is definitely Texas and you hear it both in both of those cuts I think in Lonely Woman mm-hmm. there's there's this big kind of fat Texas sound mm-hmm but then you hear with with dewey and i think a lot of of horn players especially are really singers and he's really singing and and then you hear a little bit of the anguish and the struggle Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and and the texas what they call the texas holler you hear a bit of that in everything he plays and to dewey it was the same thing that Ornette said that what he always worked on more than technique was the sound.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And once he found his own voice in that sound, um, no. and he was in California and he was driving a, a taxi is how he met right,
2: but Ornette. Right, and I was going to say that's probably also where he met Don Cherry. Yes. So the connection to Don started really early, but also you were saying in us preparing to do this conversation that, that really Don was the one who opened you up to a lot of this music. And, uh, so we both share one of our favorite Don Cherry compositions in relativity suite. And I thought we'd play a piece from there. Um, and it happens to feature Carlos Ward, who is an alto player, um, who I've listened to for years, and I know that you, you, you've you listened to him a lot. He's one of your favorite players, right? And
0: Don Cherry was the one who told me about Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Don was very, very generous with music. He was really a teacher, and he was always sharing music. And he made a tape for me once in Sweden, which included Jim Pepper, Pow Wow, mm-hmm. um, and Carlos Ward, and... Johnny Guitar Watson. Mm-hmm. So still his, your favorite. <laughs> yes, and yeah. so his, you know, his scope was in music was really huge, and you know he was talking about walking through Mali, and that's how he discovered the Duzunguni, and and his world music connection. But he really um, introduced me to all kinds of music and musicians, and Carlos Ward. Ended up being one of my very favorites.
2: So let's listen to this piece called Desireless that features Carlos Ward. Such a beautiful piece, um, and a beautiful tone, and of course Carla Bley on piano and the jazz composer's orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a great period for Don Cherry, And yes. that he, you know, there, there was there's a bunch of records right from in there yeah. that were the post Blue Note
1: mm-hmm.
2: period that were really going in some new directions, and, and and I guess ultimately led to Old and New Dreams and all of the, yes. the, the period that were. Focusing in on mm-hmm. um,
0: this was definitely music of the '80s.
2: Well, you you uh, highlighted this collaboration between Carlos Ward and Abdullah Ibrahim.
0: Yes, and and Don Cherry was the first one to give me um, a Dollar Brand record, and Dollar Brand became Abdullah Ibrahim, and mm-hmm. I was just uh, I, w- I was just blown away by this South African repetitive, percussive pianist that then would these incredible, beautiful melodies just would come out of nowhere. And Carlos, um, you know, played with him for many years. Uh, They did a lot of duo work, especially in Europe, but they did a duo um, every Monday night at Sweet Basil's for months and months. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And there were uh, some recordings that came out of that, but they were never able to reproduce it because the uh, there was a wobble in the master.
2: Oh, brilliant. Yes. Well, we won't mention who the producer was. No,
0: but I happened to... It wasn't to, Jaw Wobble. <laughs> I happened to have scored a couple of the uh, vinyls, got, which I still have. Oh, boy. Yes, with right, the wobble. But
2: we found this recording from Poland in 1984, yes. when they were, live performance.
0: Yes. And it's just the two of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: it's just a duo, right. and they play and... pretty much continuously, but th- this excerpt is a piece called The Wedding by right. Abdullah Ibrahim. with abdullah ibrahim uh in 1984 the wedding and um we it's it's interesting to me that we're talking about so many horn players saxophones don cherry dewey redmond and you're a pianist and Trend. so now we're Trend. listening to piano players yes and uh Abdullah Ibrahim probably an important figure for you yes and, and it was he, speaking yes. of Sweet Basil's I remember he played there all the time in the yes. '80s when I first got to New York
0: and, and I went to hear him just about every time he was there um I I found him um mesmerizing the first time I ever heard him live was at the University of Massachusetts when I was doing graduate work and um and there was a um, a huge artist-in-residence thing that was happening in the 70s and a lot of free concerts. And he came to UMass and played the first time. And, of course, Don Cherry had told me about him. Mm-hmm. So um, that was my first experience. And I, I listened to him for years uh, all through the... Um Akaya, I- right. you know, all of all of his South African music. I always found it meaningful. And uh and, and he's an interesting player because he's he's really percussive and rhythmic. It's not lyrical. Um but I like all kinds of, of piano music. I like I like um all kinds.
2: Well I I, I like hearing you say all kinds of music, because this period in the mid eighties, it's when I got to New York mm-hmm. and there was so much happening. You know, I'd go hear Philly Joe Jones and I'd go mm-hmm. hear Max Roach and yes. I'd go hear Julius Emphill, World Sax, mm-hmm. I'd go hear David Murray. Uh, there was so much going on. Um, and it's a period that I, it doesn't get, talked about enough in my opinion these days like you highlighted this Mm -hmm. pianist who you knew and who at the time was this huge figure Don Pullen yes yes who, who I think ought to be listened to
0: more absolutely he um Don Don was um a very powerful pianist, and he came out of really out of the church gospel um, tradition. But he was, uh, you know, he majored in music in college, and um, he was from Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, and a huge figure um, in church music, um, who just. Got into jazz through Mingus. Mm-hmm. He, was, right. he was he Charlie was Charlie Mingus's a couple
2: of those last a lot thing, of it. Yeah. Well,
0: he was he was there for a long time with, with uh, Danny, Adams, Rich- yes, Danny Richmond yes, and Danny Richmond. Um, and then of course their of course quartet the
2: player that
0: oh. I'm trying to think a uh, Jimmy Jimmy, Jimmy Napper Napper was, Napper in the was on the trombone um, and. Um,
2: and and uh, you know the trumpet player that I was thinking of is Jack Walrath. Yes, who was there for yes. a long time and yes. played with Don and I heard them and George.
0: Mm-hmm. I heard that. And then when uh, Sue started the the, uh, the Mingus Tradition Band after he died, they were all still in it, mm-hmm. including Don. Mm-hmm. And Don um, eventually, you know, had a quartet with uh, George Adams and Cameron Brown. And Danny Richmond, mm-hmm. and they played at um, the Vanguard a lot, yeah. And they played all over, but they were—they well, were a great band. It was very energetic, and um, and if, at that if time, were,
2: very visible. Yes, like really,
0: absolutely top, sold you know, out, sold yeah. out performances. Yeah. I could never get into the Vanguard until eleven thirty. Because really? it was full until...
2: And then. now you just go down and drop your name, and they let you write in, and you said, now us the Now
0: they, it's like two sets, and it starts at 8.30. It <laughs> well, is. Things yeah. have gotten
2: earlier, haven't
0: they? Oh, absolutely. So at that time, the, the first, first set The first set was 9,
2: 9.30. 9 or 9.30, right. Yes. And things started late. And it was Not at three anymore. sets. Right. And,
0: uh, and the second set was at 11.30. And the third set would be at one, mm-hmm. but it would only be a short set because everybody was falling asleep, um, including the band. <laughs> right, but then you'd go
2: out for Chinese food after the, after the or show. Or 55 grand. Or 55 grand, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. But Here. it was a much later city. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's changed so much. Yes. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting. So um, let's hear a little bit of Don Pullen. This is his piece, El Matador. Let's <laughs> go. you, you know, were commenting. Yeah, go he, ahead.
0: Well, he, he was very percussive, you know, and very yeah. powerful. And he was the only pianist that I knew that had calluses on the top of his hands <laughs> because he had this way that he would roll
2: uh-huh.
0: all over the keyboard like this to get that sound. Wow. And the first time I shook his hand, I thought, what on earth? And then um, I noticed that he had calluses all over the top of his hands. Um, he was one of my favorite pianists, mm. and and a beautiful person, mm-hmm. you know. And I loved all the music that he played. Well, it's
2: interesting that you, that track that we played, you can mm-hmm. watch on YouTube, and yes. so he's sitting very straight, upright. Yes, just a smile on his face, and looks that's as the way calm he would, as yes. could be, and yet. And, and no big movement, but no. so much power in, yes. the, in the hands.
0: his hands were, and his arms were very, very strong. And um, he was very stoic in the way he, he played, you know. He, there was nothing, there was no drama. He mm-hmm. would just sit down and just play, and it would just, like, knock you out. And you were like, how does he do that, you know? He was like... Um, he oh, he was he gave you energy to mm-hmm. listen to his music, hmm. and so, this was a band that this was what he put together of Brazilian and and um, uh, African musicians, and this was recorded three years before he died. This was after George Adams had died, and that quartet was, of course, dissolved. So um, he did a lot of solo work, and he did one. A beautiful piece, if you ever get a chance to listen to it, it's called Ode to Life. Mm. And, it's a, and it's a piano solo version. So
2: I want to redirect us for a second back to late night New York in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because you used to have a stool with your name on it at, at Bradley's. Bradley's. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> it was when you used to be able to smoke inside, yes, too. And you, that's What right. was your brand again? And the
0: so? um Drum. Yeah. I, was, I did roll ups
2: and you were like the classic cup of coffee tea with milk tea, <laughs> tea with milk and drum cigarettes yes and, and all the sets of yes. the night I would Bradley's. get there
0: early because there was to no cover yeah. and I wanted the this, this seat at the end of the bar right by the piano mm-hmm. so that you could look right down at Hank Jones playing all this beautiful music and, um, and that I would sit there they didn't kick you out Mm-hmm. And I'd sit there for four sets. I can't believe I did that now. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd get there at nine and leave like at three. Um, and I left so late that Hank Jones started giving me rides home as he <laughs> was going home to New He lived in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And wow. one time as I was leaving the club and he was behind me, he goes, where do you live anyway? And I said, on the Upper West Side. He goes, would you like a ride home? And I'm like, where do you go? He goes. I'm going to Fort Lee, New Jersey. I'm uh-huh. going right up the West George side highway. Washington
2: Bridge. Right. I'll so.
0: I'll drop you off. So Hank Jones started like actually dropping me off at 111th 110th. 110th. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. where you mm-hmm. lived when I met yes. you. Yes. Uh huh. He um, eventually um, Hank Jones um, did some beautiful work at the cathedral for me. We did some. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had uh, some benefits to raise money for the Stone Yard. You worked as Cathedral
2: St. John the Divine. Yes.
0: and I booked many, many jazz programs I there. I remember. And uh, and he was very gracious. The interesting thing about about Hank was he was very nervous about playing in the cathedral because his father was very religious. I think his father was a preacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when Hank was young and started gigging, his father would come down at midnight to where Hank was playing and take him home and make him stop Mm. because it was the Sabbath. And so the first time Hank ever played in a church was at the cathedral and he was very nervous. Hmm. And his father had been dead for years. I mean, Hank was in his late 80s at that point. So um, it was interesting that he ended up playing um, religious music with Charlie Hayden.
2: That's right. They did the yes. record of spirituals. Yes, very beautiful. And uh, so even Char- like take did, take did my Hank, hand,
0: precious Lord. Do but you did know all Hank those? Jones
2: play four sets at Cathedral Saint John the Divine?
0: Uh, it was a concert.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> and, you and know it know wasn't on Susanna Sunday. has stories about <laughs> being taken to some of these gigs when oh, she yes. was little. Oh yes, long you mm-hmm. know three hour oh, yes. loft concerts. Cecil and Taylor. So she. Mm-hmm when we go to something that sounds like a loft concert, yes. she gives me this edgy look yes. like this is my childhood.
0: Marilyn Crispell and <laughs> Cecil Taylor. And, um, and, you know, in, in, in that time, it was the late seventies and, and mm-hmm. we were very, we had a lot of time on our hands and, and it was very indulgent, you see, and, and there were no beginnings and ends. Um, Oliver Lake would just come in with his horn and just start playing. And then he would quit and and say some poetry, mm-hmm. you know. Um, piano bars in New York were interesting at that period because they were there was no cover, and right. like it like right. the Knickerbocker was down the street from this from Bradley University
2: Place, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. And I the cookery
0: was, it had singers. That's where Alberta Hunter mm-hmm. would hang out. And by the way, Cecil Taylor went to hear Alberta mm-hmm. every time she sang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He, was, he was in love with her. And um, so I would like go between the Knickerbocker and Bradley's. Right. If I couldn't get my choice seat at Bradley's, I would kind of stand behind. And then I would go down to the Knickerbocker. If you stood at the bar, you didn't have to pay.
2: Okay, let's take a break and hear some Hank Jones.
0: Mank Jones, you know, was an incredible sight reader. And um, and and he, that's why he worked at CBS for so long. You know, he his discography of his own is not that long, but he played for many, many singers, Ella Fitzgerald, and he loved Nancy Wilson, mm-hmm. um, Abby Lincoln. He was on that record with Charlie and Stan Getz. Mm-hmm. Um, He was very, very sensitive accompanist, and you really heard that in his trio work. He was very generous. Mm -hmm. He always gave the bass player a long solo, and of course he gave the drummer some. But um, it made you know, it annoyed all the pianists because we really came to steal all his licks. And as he got older, you can hear that he had this this editing that went on and. And he only played what he wanted to hear, and um, and there weren't in there weren't any excess notes. It was very refined, and really, um, it was like a master class. Mm-hmm. And one time mm-hmm. he said to me, um, "I really want to learn a Mozart sonata,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I was like why <laughs> but then i didn't say that yeah. so i i picked out um I, for, I forget the number but it was um it was un- yes mm-hmm. in b flat
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um and i gave him a couple of lessons and he sight read it uh, flawlessly mm-hmm. the first time he ever looked at it wow and of course you know most is full of runs and mm-hmm. and scales and and his his technique was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he, he, um, he played it again for me and he said, you know, I just really don't think that I deserve to play Mozart. He says, I, I really can't play it that well. <laughs> and he played a lot better than I did, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I never forgot that, that, um, that is incredible. yes, that he had, you know, he had this openness to music mm-hmm. and, um, as most musicians I think do.
2: Yeah. Boy, we could sit here and listen to piano music uh, all day, but yes. we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Marilyn Crispell in mm-hmm. passing, but yes. we also had talked about Jerry Allen, yes, and even Marion McPartland. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it
0: was tough for the, for we, women.
2: Well, yeah, even now. Yes, yes, it is. Things are changing. Slowly. but uh then we talked about mary lou williams who yes. has been huge for me yes and uh i know that you heard her mm-hmm. at that time right yes you, you heard her last concert
0: i heard her you? last um gig at um, the knickerbocker i used to go stand at the bar because it was free mm-hmm. and one and i didn't have very much money and and you know new york is very expensive so um i one night i said okay i'm going to the knickerbocker i'm making a reservation and i'm going to sit at a table and i'm going to eat food so that i can sit on that side of the bar and watch mary lou williams and mm-hmm. i want that table right by the piano mm-hmm. which i did and i sat there wow. for three sets she was at playing her elbow <laughs>
2: duo with the no, bass pl- solo. solo
0: oh
1: wow Great.
0: absolute solo uh-huh. Right next to her, yeah, to the and and I was so intense mm-hmm. about it. And she actually came over and sat down at the table after the third, you know, nice. at the third set between she'd seen that you were because there. she saw I wasn't going to move. yeah, and I was just like sitting there like watching her like a mm-hmm. hawk. Mm-hmm. And we had a really beautiful conversation. She was talking about teaching, you know, in durham and um and what teaching meant to her. And uh, just uh, about her music and and her life and how uh, challenging it was to to gig, but that that fed her. Um, and I got to hear, and I had no idea that she was ill, and she died two months later. Mm. And that was 1981.
2: Right, right. But she spanned pretty much the whole history of yes. jazz in America. She
0: she said that you know actually. Hank Jones did longer, mm-hmm. but she lived 80 years. She mm-hmm. was born in 1910, I think. Maybe and, 1911, uh, but yeah. Yeah, right, at least and, maybe and 10, died yeah. in 81, so there was right. that span. And, and it's interesting to hear these two masters in the evolution of yeah. piano music, really, at yeah. their hands.
2: I mean, there's that story about Mary Lou Williams that when she was 11 years old, she played for... Um, Jelly Roll Morton, yeah. who had come through her town, yeah. and then she was on the road as a teen yeah. on the Kansas City circuit as a composer and arranger and pianist, right.
0: which so was she tough came for through a woman. Some, yeah, very tough for a woman. Yeah. But um, my my favorite of hers, well, I I really like the recording of uh, My Mama Pinned a Rose on Me, but mm-hmm. no one plays the blues like mm-hmm. Mary Lou Williams. Mm. Absolutely, no one.
2: So we should listen to Mary yes, Williams playing the blues. The blues. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for uh, making the time to talk with us. You're welcome. There's so many good stories. Uh, your phone just rang, and your ringtone is Coltrane playing my favorite things. Yes. and uh, I love that. Uh, it's so your t- thanks. Typical for- <laughs> grandma. Uh-huh. <laughs> You have gotten ticketed for salty language at my house for many years.
0: That's true, and, and I, you kept it clean today. I kept today. it clean today, and, and I'd like a reward. Okay, I'll come right. over for dinner. How's that? Sounds 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 good. Okay. Sounds good as long as we don't have to talk about music anymore.
2: No, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marietta. You're welcome.